You are listening to Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, it is truly a pleasure and a privilege to have on uh, this man, Delfio Marsalis. And uh, I don't know, Delfio, um, you know, when I think of the McEnroe's in tennis, you know, I'm not going to say we're, you know, the, the, the biggest – I can't say we're the biggest family in tennis, right, because you got those Williams sisters. They're pretty big, okay? But, but we, you know, we're up there, okay? We're up there. But there's no doubt – that the Marsalis family is the first, the first family in jazz, certainly in this country, no doubt about it. What a pleasure to have you on and uh, giving me a few minutes here today. How are you, sir? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. I'm down here in uh, cloudy New Orleans, and uh, everything <laughs> is cool. It's usually sunny New Orleans, but it's a little overcast today. Now, now, I mean, I got into tennis because I did what my brothers did. I have another brother, Mark, who, who didn't go into professional tennis. I know you have a couple of brothers that didn't go into music as a business as well, like your two older brothers and, and one of your younger brothers have. Um, so, you know, I did my little homework on you, Delfio, and I know you sat under the piano when your dad, Alice, played. And I know he passed, by the way, just in the, within the last year, right? He was the man that introduced all of you guys to to music, right? Yes, April 1st of last year, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he lived a good long one. Uh, he was 85, and we, we certainly miss him. And, and what was it like growing up as you guys did? I mean, you had the older brothers that obviously got into music uh, early. You did as well. Um, what was that? What was it like? Right. Well, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it was actually my mom who mm-hmm. kind of had the the vision of family and everything. My dad was a piano player. He loved playing modern jazz, mm. which was different here in New Orleans. You know, New Orleans is a party town. Mm-hmm. So most of the people, they wanted to hear Fats Domino or the Meters or the Neville Brothers, but my dad was playing the modern sound in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so it was tough. It was tough going. But, uh, you know, then my oldest brother, Branford, was born and then went not long after that. And, you know, my mother had made up in her mind that she was going to, not only raised the family, uh, she was an early feminist. Mm-hmm. So her gift for that was she had all boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's how that goes. Uh, so, you know, growing up for us, it was a, it was a, a great time. And, uh, you know, it was right after the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and everything. So the country was really popping. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to have, initially it was four of us, the mm-hmm. Branford and Winton. Ellis and myself. Right. And then after a few years, my younger brother, Mboya, and then Jason came along a few years after that. Uh, as far as the music, though, yeah, my dad was, uh, a lot of times he was out of the house playing gigs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did hear him play, and he would have some of the giants over. At one point, John Coltrane wow. had come over. That was before my time. But mm. he had been at the house, and uh, Sonny Stitt is another great saxophone mm-hmm. player. Clark Terry, who was a great trumpeter with Duke Ellington Orchestra for many years. So, you know, my dad was really more well-known outside of New Orleans by the musicians. 
Mm-hmm. So once I started touring, I would meet these older musicians, and they would always say, "Man, how's your daddy?" <laughs> right. It's so cool so, because uh, because I mean I sort of you know live that in the tennis world, sort of traveling. Um, in our case, all over the world, for it, up until obviously in this last year, I know music has hit the same uh, snags with the pandemic. But one of the great things about tennis for me has been able to travel and you know see the same people and you know their history where they grew up in France or in Spain or in South America. You know, and that sort of connection that the sport um, brings to us, you know, with totally different backgrounds. And I'm assuming that you've been able to experience that as well with with your experiences and, and your travels around the world with music, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I, I kind of didn't understand, in the, especially the 80s and the 90s, how special that period was. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the older musicians, you know, jazz had kind of, it, it was not as popular, I guess we'd say, by the, the late 70s. And then, man, my, my brother Winton, when he hit the scene, it was great because you had this young kid, he was like, 19, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing with one of the masters, Art Blakey. Mm. And what that did was it just re-energized everything. You know, it's not unlike, you know, I guess when you say Nadal came out at that young age mm-hmm. and then it kind of picks up the interest. And now we have, you know, Coco Golf. So right. in jazz, it's, it's a similar thing. And then you had the older musicians and the younger musicians and middle, everybody was just together, really coming together for the common good. It was really, really a great time. Uh, you know, I'd say for sure the 80s and the 90s. Now, Delphio, you're known for many things. Obviously, you're, uh, your own, you create your own work as a composer. You've produced, I think it's over 100 records with some of the greats, Harry Connick Jr. and others um, in, in the jazz world. But the trombone, I mean, you, you, you said, you know, I was reading your bio, and you said that the trombone, when you picked it up in sixth grade, that you you tried a couple other instruments, but you loved it because it was like your personality. What is that? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Uh, of course, Branford was playing saxophone already. Went and playing trumpet, and you know, in New Orleans music, we say that each instrument has a personality. Mm-hmm. So the trumpet player's job is to play the lead. Mm. That's just that, that, it's one of those things that no matter what's going on, when the trumpet says something, you got to follow, mm-hmm. and that. It, Winton is perfectly suited for that. You know, he he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the saxophone's job is to either agree with the trumpet mm-hmm. or to argue with the trumpet. <laughs> and that's okay. that's right. kind of Bramford. Is, you know, he's the perfect folk. Those two were meant to be together in that respect. Now, the trombone comes along, and depending on what's happening, the trombone has the bigger responsibility because if the trumpet and the saxophone are arguing, mm-hmm. trombone gets says, hey, man, everything is cool. Yeah, like you're kind of the peacemaker, right? So I guess my brother would probably be the trumpet, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be the, oh, my goodness, would he be the trumpet? <laughs> yeah, so this is like, now I'm, now I'm starting to get it. You just educated me because I always, always, you know, in my house, I had, we have another brother, Mark, who was sort of in the middle. And then I came uh-huh. along and I was like, you know, if I could play music, Dell, I'd probably be the tr- trombonist too, because I was trying to like, I think, hey, everything's gonna be cool, don't worry. Like dad, like my dad was like my brother a little bit. He was like, you know, what the hell are you doing? I was like, why are you yelling at the referees? I'm like, oh my, geez, John will look at me. I wonder where I got that from, right? So I would be the trombonist too, because I want to keep everything cool. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of the, you know, there's a reason in the big band that trombones are in the middle. 
mm-hmm. to keep the trumpets away from the saxophones. <laughs> saxophones are mad because they, they play soft, and the trumpets are mad because they're in the back, they're blowing loud, and the trombones are just, you know, trombone players a lot of times, they just have that cool disposition. It's like, right. come on, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, mean, work out. <laughs> I love your outfits, by the way. So I, I love your, your, you're very colorful, okay, when I look into your pictures on your website. Now, I did watch a few of... Um, uh, the performances you've got, you've done with your orchestra there in New Orleans um, on live stream or just on, I mean, streaming. What we, you guys have learned to do this. So, what has it been like in the last year? I mean, this is the, you know the big bands. I mean, uh, you haven't been able to do it. Let's hope we're starting to turn the corner. So, I'm hearing rumblings. You know that tennis. There might be some you know more fans and other sports as well. And my wife's a singer. She's a Sort of, uh, in the Broadway world and the cabaret world. So I'm hearing, okay, maybe they're going to start okay. letting some people in. But for you and for, first of all, t- tell me about what it's been like to just figure out how to do it, right, um, with, with, other in- with other players online and then what you're looking forward to the most when we can all come back. Right. Well, you know, I'd say first, uh, New Orleans people and New Orleans musicians have always known how to make things work. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great things. If you, you know, you go back to the old the days, we just understand how to navigate through whatever the times are. So it has been tough as it has been for a lot of folks around uh, the country and the world. Mm-hmm. I think the big difference is there was, from what I could sense, much more optimism, especially from the musical community here in New Orleans than in other places. We just had that, that thing that, man, everything is going to be cool. It's going to mm-hmm. work out. Um, so I believe we stopped playing. Our last gig was on March the 13th. Right. of 2020. And then we picked things up by the end of June. Uh, we, we played our first live stream and that was for the blue note in New York. Oh, sure. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah, spots. So, yeah. So that, you know, we, so we did the blue note, mm-hmm. uh, then we did it for another one. So I guess we're averaging every, every three to four months. We try to do a live stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is difficult with a, with a larger band, right. but, uh, it's something that we felt was really necessary and the, the musicians really need it. You know, I think that there's a healing aspect from an audience standpoint of view. You know, you can go to a, a great concert and you just feel a certain kind of healing. But the musicians need that also. Sure. You know, the musicians need the opportunity to play for people. And there's a gratitude that happens in, you know, so uh, so I'd say it, it has been tough, but. We certainly, uh, we've had a, a, my musicians, a, the guys in the band have had a great outlook about things. And, you know, we're looking forward to just getting back and doing what we do. Yeah, well, that's the same for us in the in the tennis world. We've been lucky here in New York that, you know, the tennis academy where I work with my brother, that we, you know, train a lot of kids and coaches and so on. It's been, uh, we've been lucky that we've been able to stay open. We reopened back in July and, and, and we've avoided any uh, COVID. But, you know, for professional tennis, it's obviously much, much more difficult with the travel and people coming from all over the world. Now, before we actually started recording, uh, Dell, you started dropping some little PMAC stuff. Like you actually watch tennis, you know, like, you, you know, so give me a little, give me a little tennis, uh, update on uh, your interest. Do you play? You, you obviously watch it a little bit on TV, which I, um, I'm thrilled to hear. Oh yeah. I've, I've just been a big fanatic and, uh, I love to hear the jumper. And, uh, <laughs> I love it, man. But you know, the, the the funny thing is, like, I I, st- I used to watch, man, you know, Arthur Ashe and mm-hmm. Jimmy Connors and, you know, you and your brothers. I used to watch this 
uh, on the weekends, I would say by my great aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. And it just never occurred to me to play it. Something about New Orleans, but I, I used to like it. And I, I would watch it, especially the things on CBS. Right. US, uh, US Open. I came into CBS, it. yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when Sampras, mm-hmm. I was a big Sampras. Like it was, you know, I, I was a big fan of Sampras's early on. And I started playing actually based on a bet. We were in Europe mm-hmm. and uh, a bass player was talking trash. In fact, he now plays with Harry Connick Jr. But he was talking noise. Mm-hmm. And I, I bet him well, the tenor player could take you out. <laughs> tenor player was an older guy, man. Right. This guy. So we had a bet, $300 bet. Uh-huh. Tenor player injures himself. Uh-oh. And instead of just giving up, I said, well, man, I'll play you. I hadn't played any tennis. But mm-hmm. we had about two weeks left to the tour. Okay. Man, I went out and bought a racket and some balls. Every city, I'd go hit up against the wall, and I would try to get the – obviously, I was no good. Mm-hmm. So I lost the game. lost the match to the guy. lost the money. Mm. You lost came 300, Orleans, 300 and bucks, and you said you got to I lost 300 passing. bucks. Right. I came, I came to New Orleans, and I said, man, I need to find a tennis coach. They said there's a guy named Lloyd Dillon. Mm. And Coach Dillon just passed on a few months ago, actually. Yeah. So I found Lloyd Dillon, and I told him the situation. Mm-hmm. He went to Grambling University with my mother. Okay. So he knew, he, knew, he knew my family, knew my dad. So Lloyd Dillon taught me basically for free for nine months. Wow. We'd be out there two or three hours a day. And I could tell he really wanted me to get revenge. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, nine months later, I set it up and I played this bass player. He couldn't remember how much. I said, yeah, man, we, we bet four, so why don't we double or nothing? $800. Mm, okay. And uh, let's just say I gave Coach half the winnings. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome story. Oh, man, I love that. You yeah. Were just- this episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. I'm impressed because it's it's when you how old were you when this you're about the same age as me. We're both in mid fifties. So what? But how old were you when you did this? Like right. ten years I ago. I started at thirty. I okay. started playing at thirty. Yeah, very. Di- I so, mean, it's really difficult to get you know a lot better in tennis if you start at an older age because all the you know, the mechanics of it's probably like playing an instrument. It's like you know you learn so many things when you're young. And by the way. Um, Dell, I grew up playing against the wall. Okay. That's how I learned how to play. And many great players, not that I was a great player, but I was a good player. Um, many, many players, that's how you learn how to play. So the fact you 
See, something clicked because you you knew. You said, let me get out on the wall. Because if you can keep the ball in play against the wall, right, that means you can control the ball. So yeah, I'm guessing right. when you first started, the ball was probably going all over the place. Oh, yeah. it was. But I was almost – I was a fanatic, man. I was so obsessed with I've got to take this guy down. But, you know, the funnier part about that match and the thing I really loved about the coach was he was big on your fundamental mm-hmm. and strategy. So I remembered – I think I, I won the first set and this guy was coming back in the second set. And I, I was like, damn, what would the coach say? And I realized that he was stepping into the court mm. and all I did was just move the ball back a little further. I mm-hmm. said, just got to put more air under the ball. Right. And the guy couldn't handle it. And I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was a great, it was, you know, one of the great times. So yeah, um, tennis is such a great sport. You know, I just, well, tennis, tennis encompasses a lot of things that are, you know, I think, you know, I've, listen, I've spoken to quite a few mus- musicians. In fact, I was talking recently to a great classical and jazz piano player, Dan Tepfer, and he, uh, he, he was like an astrophysicist as well. So he, he kind of figured out how to do stuff online in the last year, similar to what you're talking about, obviously more complicated, I think, for you with the big band. But I asked him this question, right. and I'm going to ask you this, uh, ask it to you again as a musician. When you go out, and you play tennis with some. Let's say you go play, not this match, but let's just say you go hit with someone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you think I want to play with them or I want to beat them? What's the mindset? What's Dell's mindset? Yeah, I got to say, I'm ready to beat them. You're ready to beat them. All right. <laughs> See, so you should have been a tennis player, you know? Yeah, I'm ready to. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to. But, you know, it's just, it's just uh, that, that kind of that competitive thing. I got five brothers, so you know how it is. You have brothers, mm-hmm. man. It's easy to. Uh, but you know, sometimes it always ends up being that though. Even if we just go out and we start hitting, you can tell after a certain while, okay, this guy's ready. Right. And, yeah. uh, and that was, I think, you know, uh, and I started playing and not only did I start playing thir- when I was 30, it mm-hmm. didn't occur to me that, man, I hadn't played any real competitive athletics since like mm-hmm. elementary school. Right. So I'm out there in, uh, you know, I should have had about a year of physio. That would have helped. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, uh, I, I always feel like to, even today, my brother was out there playing today. He's like, and he's, he, he starts grabbing his back. He's playing with one of our kids, which he likes to do at the club. <laughs> and he comes over, he stops, he comes over, and he says, oh, man, my effing back. And I said, uh, <laughs> and I, I said, well, is it, you know, getting, which is it hurt on your, on your, he goes, doesn't hurt on my back end, but on the serve. I said, well, that's not good because, you know, he's known for his serve. And, um, he said, well, right. if I could just figure out what it is. And I said, you think it might have something to do with being 62? You think it might have something to do with that? <laughs> right. And it gives me that look like, you know, shut up, little brother. You know, you, you, you. But, but, you know, I want to ask you about this because the family thing and, you, you know, you guys, the family, I mean, receive the highest jazz honor that you can get, the National Endowment for the Arts Jazz Masters Award. This was, a, I think, about 10 years ago, right, in 2011. But it, it's right. interesting in reading about your, you and your career and your family as well that you, as a family – you know, everybody went and kind of did their own thing for, for many years, which you still obviously do. But that, that was sort of the impetus for you guys to get together and actually start playing together a little bit more. How did that come about? Because I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that. Well, we, you know, we all have our own bands. Yep. And our bands actually generally sound better than when we play together mm-hmm. because we didn't grow up with a family band. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people think that it was like, we're the Jacksons of jazz. And the daddy was like, 
practice or you're going to get in the closet and in the closet and practice, you know, but right. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't so much that, uh-huh. uh, you know, we, we kind of, so we, we have a, a certain independence mm-hmm. and when we come together and when we have come together in the past, it was actually because of our father because mm. he got together and said, Hey man, we need to do something. Right. 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 Um, uh, and it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not sure I, I would imagine we're going to do something in his honor mm-hmm. once the city opens back up. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just interesting because you know, I said when being the trumpet player, we kind of defer. We let him kind of make the decisions mm-hmm. uh, about the songs and everything. And uh, we just, you know, the main thing is just we just, you know, we try to be ourselves and have a good time. Well, that's the cue. That's key. You know, it's funny. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me though, because when my brother and I were both playing on the tour. And he was kind of towards the end of his career, and I was kind of in the middle of mine, and I you know, started to make a decent name for myself. But, you know, obviously I'm not my brother. But my dad had always wanted us to play doubles together because I was a very good doubles player, better so than in, in singles. And John, you know, yeah. arguably the greatest doubles player ever of all time. So we would play together a few times, and we never did that well because we'd be, be like, so uptight, you know, because, like, our dad, like, he wanted it more than we did, you know. And then, and then, and then late in, in John's career, we actually played together once a big tournament in Paris called the Paris, not the French Open, called the Paris Indoor Tournament. And uh, we actually won okay. it. We won the tournament, and it was a huge um, – moment for me you know i mean just to play with my brother but to to win a big tournament and then my brother said when we we were done we were out partying with yannick noah that night celebrating and he said you know what that's it we're done we're good we're we're gonna go out on top with a win dad we finally get one one big one for dad that's it and and in in our later years dale we've we've actually played together a lot in the senior like in the you know for the old guys they have a tournament you know a little fun tournament at wimbledon and australian open so In a lot of ways, for right. me, that's been even more joyful because we've been able to enjoy it. And I think, I, I guess my point of telling you this story is I think it's great for you and your brothers to do it. You know, obviously, you've all had, got huge names yourselves, but I think there's something about doing it, especially when you get we get to be our age, that for me, it's been actually more meaningful to play with my brother now as we're both older. We have our own families. We have our own careers. Obviously, we're both in tennis but very rewarding. So I would, I would say, you know, if you guys can do it, do it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know, we grew up in a small house. Like people see men, how often do you see your brothers? I said, I saw them enough. When we were <laughs> <going up. laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, but and you know, the other thing though, uh, we were talking about kind of the trombone personality, mm-hmm. you know, I produced my dad. I produced Branford. I produced Winton. And I would say they, they would not be able to function you know, as a producer, it just, you have to have a right. certain mindset, you know? Um, and I think that that's one of the great things. And one of the great things when I get together with them, and I love this about older brothers is I say, they, they'll never give me credit right then when it's happening, mm-hmm. but I'll often hear them saying things that yep. refer back, you know? And so when, when we work with them, like we just did something with Branford and I, I told the musicians, look, no matter what, if, if you have something to tell him, tell him, and he will not agree with you. And he'll tell you you're wrong, but mm. if it's the best thing, he'll still do it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about, Dell. I know. I want. By, by the way, I started doing this podcast. I'm very excited about this. Actually, I mean, I've been doing it. This is season two, which you're going to be on coming out um, this this year, and uh, I've been doing it all. And of course, people say to me all the time, 
you got to get your brother on. You know, when are you going to get your brother? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing, okay? I'm doing my thing. And sure enough, I had, I had all my system all set up at our academy. My brother comes in. He's, he's having his lunch. He goes, what's that? I go, that's my podcast machine. He goes, man, you've been doing a lot of those. I said, yeah, I've probably done about 75, 80. He looks, he looks around, he looks at me. He says, when am I going to be on? I'm like, hey, man, you know, anytime you want. You just, anytime. You, yeah, exactly. But I, I, I totally know that vibe and that feeling. And, and you know what? We got to do our thing. You know, and you, you're doing yeah, your man. thing and the Uptown, what do you call this? The Uptown Jazz Orchestra, right? From Uptown Norwich. Jazz Orchestra. Oh, man. That's it. I was yeah. listening to it uh, before, we, before I got to interview. Phenomenal. And so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, that's what, you know, we known for having people come to New Orleans, they want to have a party, mm-hmm. and uh, we try never to disappoint. So, uh, you know, it's a great thing to be out there, and uh, that's the one thing about, about tennis. You know, you can get four, but it's like, man, can you imagine ten people playing tennis at one time? Well, I mean, oh. it wouldn't work. But. Yeah. Yeah, four, <laughs> we do a little doubles. But who's your favorite player to watch now? Who do you like to watch? Man, I, I'm, I'm still diehard in the doll. Oh, really? Know, and, okay. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing going from Sampras to, to Nadal, but, mm. you know, for some reason I was on the road when I first heard about him. I remember he was 14 years old, mm-hmm. and I think it was Carlos Moya. They said, Moya's talking about some kid that's 14. Yeah. And I don't know why, I just, I had a, a good feeling. I said, man, this this the kid I'm going to watch. And uh, I had a great time. Actually, I dressed up as Nadal. I dressed oh, up are like you Nadal serious? No way. Wow. For the U.S. Open. But no, the funnier part was I ended up sitting right behind his box. Mm. So after the match, in fact, I have the picture after after the match. Uncle Tony saw me, mm-hmm. and he he nudged uh, the people, and I ended up taking pictures with Uncle Tony and with wow, uh, yeah, with some people in the box. I just you know I like to have fun like that, man, and I think it's a, one of the great rivalries. Of course, he and Federer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know with with Djokovic, everybody, man, they're taking care. of Oh, these those guys are in serious business. And remember, you know, Moya is now uh, Nadal's coach, by the way, because they're both from Mallorca. And uh, right. one of the biggest, the first big wins that Nadal ever had, Dell, was beating Moya beating in, Moya. in at the Monte Carlo. <laughs> and he was like 16 or something at the time. And, and everybody was like, oh, my God. I got to tell you one quick, Pat Cash. You know Pat Cash, right? He's an Australian player who oh, won, yeah, won Wimbledon. So he tells this story that he was in Spain to play, you know, do some charity match or exhibition or something like that. And he was supposed to play another pro and the pro somehow got injured. And I think it was in, it was either in Mallorca or maybe Barcelona where Rafa happened to be there. It was probably in Mallorca. And they said, listen, you know, they called him at the hotel, you know, a couple hours before is at night. And they said, listen, uh, such and such. I can't remember who the pro was, you know, pulled up injured. They can't play, but we got this kid. You know who's gonna play you, and and so so Cash is like, what are you like some kid? Like okay, so he goes out there and he's thinking, you know, more. You know, I'm gonna play some 14 year old kid. I'm just gonna play around with him and you know let him. And he said literally the guy came out like I mean it was on clay too, and Nadal was like a, like unbelievable beat him in the exhibition. <laughs> I mean right. So I don't know. I don't know what how that could happen. In, I guess it was sort of like your brother. You said in music as a nineteen year old, it's like you just like you see it, you know, and you you know they got it right. Oh yeah. In fact, that's how he uh, went and started playing with Art Blakey. Mm-hmm. Was he showed up on the gig, and uh, the story was from the saxophone player that man, the trumpet player couldn't believe it. 
you know, trumpet player actually was a guy from Russia. But it's like, where did this kid even come from? <laughs> right. You know, at at that age. But it's uh, you know, it's a great thing, and it, it's great to see the youngsters. And that's what you know. That's what re reenergizes things. You know, we're trying to find a young kid here in New Orleans to give him a trumpet. Come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> well, you guys do a lot. You know? I know. I know the Marsalis family does a lot for kids and uh, the stuff you've done in New Orleans. So you keep it up. And let me tell you this, Dell. When this whole thing is done and we can start moving again, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're going to come to New York and play the Blue Note or wherever you're going to be. And guess what? You're going to put on your schedule in your itinerary. You're going to come play some What's tennis that? with me. That's what you're going to do. Man, let's do that. Okay. All right. Cause, cause, All right. Uh, I'm going hit the gym. Hit the gym. Get, <laughs> we got to find you a new coach. Find another coach. And then we come here, yeah. and we'll. Uh, I'm going to come to your show. You get me a slide me in, get me a ticket, and then I'll, you come yes, and take sir. a lesson. Take, we'll, we'll hit some tennis balls, okay? Man, I appreciate that. Sure enough. And I appreciate you doing this and taking the time to come on my podcast, Delfio Marsalis, everybody. And uh, you keep up the great work, and I will continue to follow your live stream and look for you in person. We can meet in person, my friend. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Looking forward to okay, it. Okay, you got it. Thank you. All right, catch you later. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.